Hello, welcome to Smiling Politely with me, Aaron J. How are you doing? So this is a platform that I'm selfishly using to shout material at seven people online rather than seven people in a pub. So if there is a topic you want to see me rant about, then please do drop me a message. I'm also using this platform to talk to an array of cool and interesting people, find out what they've been up to and what their plans are going forward. A huge thank you to those who have listened already and got in touch. It means a lot to me to know which jokes worked and which jokes didn't. Also means a lot to me knowing that people are listening and taking an interest in something that I'm developing a bit of a passion for, to be honest. So the main news this week really is that we're allowed to travel abroad. Uh, Mallorca welcomed its first guests into its establishments and when asked about how they felt about finally being allowed on holiday, one holidaymaker said that he now has to wear gloves at the buffet and that it's, quote, a bloody disgrace. So unfortunately, only the intellectual elite are allowed to go abroad thus far. And the Guardian's created a list of countries that we could potentially visit and on that list it's got a photo of the country a description of it, and then a rating. It looks like Tinder for holidaymakers. And countries are graded on a traffic light system too. Presumably the green ones are single, the red ones are in a relationship, and the amber ones are cheeky and mysterious. Also in the news this week, Greta Thunberg, 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 Greta Thunberg, has accused world leaders of using her to look cool and boost their own image. She said that prominent world leaders queued for hours for a selfie with her, almost as if they're treating Greta Thunberg like the release of the new FIFA. And whilst we're on the topic of of climate change, a survey has found that the majority of UK fruit and vegetable now contains plastic due to plastic pollution, disproving the theory that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. People are worried that consuming plastic for a sustained period of time could be doing damage to our insides. If that's the case, it will still do less damage than a doner kebab. Also in the news this week, there's been an increased demand for dogs during this pandemic, suggesting that a dog isn't just for Christmas, but it's for a global pandemic too. The Kennel Club found there to be a 393% increase in inquiries about puppies. Compare that to the 129% increase in dating app downloads, what does that tell you? Dogs are better company than humans. Criminals are taking advantage of this though. Sky News stated that criminals are using the cloak of COVID-19 to illegally sell puppies, meeting buyers on their doorsteps, on the street and in service stations. Yeah, service stations. I don't trust buying a sandwich from a service station, let alone a dog. But if you are thinking about buying a dog during this time, the Kennel Club have posted a set of things to consider before making the purchase. The main one being to visit the puppy where it was born, preferably with its mother too. And not in a welcome break car park. So this week's topic is alcohol. I think people are drinking more alcohol during lockdown. I'm visiting a bottle bank once a week. Uh, I'm purposely visiting the bottle bank in a rougher area because I feel the people around there are less likely to judge me. There's a weird name, isn't it, though? Bottle bank. I suppose it's similar to an actual bank in, in some ways, in a sense that I get very little out of visiting. 
Each visit makes me question my actions and decisions, and both require far different etiquette to that of a sperm bank. But alcohol changes your perspective on things, though. It really does. It changes the way your brain works. Like, at home now, while you're listening, say any adjective in your head now. It's any adjective. Bouncy. Bright. A- any adjective. And then follow it with any animal. What you've done there is you've just named your own craft ale. Put those two words together. Bouncy giraffe. Sounds absolutely mental in real life. If you see that on a pub chalkboard, no one bats an eyelid. I don't mind craft ale. I don't mind it. My favourite drink in the world is lager. Like over squash and Fanta and stuff, I prefer lager. But you can't drink it all the time. You feel bloated, full. You feel sick. The people in church give you funny looks. You can't drink it all the time. And people justify drinking in the morning by calling it... uh, Pim's o'clock instead of 11am. Can cause health complications though, can cause health issues. Years of alcohol abuse can give someone the complexion of corned beef. And some people get a false sense of confidence when they drink. Not me though. I'm a legend when I drink. Trying to give up drinking though. I am. I'm trying to give it up. Causes health issues. Causes things like memory loss, liver failure, jaundice, depression. And I'll end up getting ill, man. I'll end up being the guy who's upset that he's forgotten why he's turned yellow. This week's guest is comedian Louis Green. Louis Green co-runs Glass Eye Comedy with myself and Danny Mark, as well as being a fantastic comedian in his own right. As well as being a terrific comedian, Louis also moonlights as a Mo Harris impersonator, as well as Pat Butcher and Tommy from The Apprentice. Louis Green, welcome. How are you doing? Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you, sir. Good, thank you. All the better for speaking to you, my friend. So, I was chatting to people. The topic that I've been talking about in this episode of the podcast is alcohol or drinking, um, which is what you do with alcohol. Um, What Do you have any... Any good drinking stories? Because you don't really drink, do you? I'm not a massive drinker, no. Um, I do like to get on it occasionally, um, as you have found out on them ah. lonely night in revs. Yeah, mate. I've, you've done all sorts, <laughs> mate. The top, the top comes off, waves around your head. You're on the, you're on the table. Yeah, my fondest memories of drinking are probably when you, we used to drink over the park as kids, like 15. It's important that you say as kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like when I was like 15, like getting on the park on a Friday night on the lash, getting the old 99p a litre Frosty Jack. Oh, Frosty. Matt, I saw Frosty Jacks on Friday in the corner shop. Oh, like it still goes, like people, it still gets sold. It's, oh. Mate, it's, it, it's insane. It's like, it's, it's horrendous. Like drink. It, I can't even explain what the taste is. It's the worst thing I've ever tasted. It's foul. It's like fruity petrol. Would you buy it? Would I buy it? What What for? I don't know. Like, just, it's the only drink on the shelf you really fancy a drink. Would you go for it? Nah. What's the point? Just just have, like, tap water. <laughs> like, I'm not, 
I'm not reliant on alcohol. No one can be that. Why would you drink Frosty Jacks? Oh no, spend an extra quid, quid and get Lamborghini. Yeah, or Strongbow. Like Strongbow's not much more expensive, and it's a lot less rubbish. So, so what was so okay? What was the superior drink? Frosty Jacks or White Lightning? I never had White Lightning. It was oh, a that bit, shows it was my a, age. It, it was a bit before my time. Um, that shows my age, doesn't it? Frosty Jacks lasted from high school until uni. Like there were still people I went to uni with that drank Frosty Jacks at pre-drinks. Yeah, but students are notorious for not having any money, so like you can almost understand that. Yeah, it was almost always the rugby team as well. No offence, Tom Alban. <laughs> uh, Tom's drunk a lot worse than that. Oh, he has. But he's a lovely man, and I can't, can't wait to get him on the podcast, Louis. It'd be nice to have Tom on. Did you get other people to buy for you, or were you one of them kids that looked old? Nah, nah. One of my best mates like grew a beard at like nine, <laughs> and he could get served anywhere, and he had a tattoo at like 15, so he, it, we used to just send him in. <laughs> Just like a 15-year-old kid going in and buying like seven people's worth of alcohol. No, no, word, no word of a lie, right? He was 15, right? And he was a year younger than us as well. Um, he was 15 and he had a tattoo of a naked lady on his forearm. <laughs> at 15. <laughs> and across it, across it was a scroll that said, Mum. <laughs> 15. Seriously, seriously, naked. He's still to this day my best friend, but like he's got an, he had he's had a has he had it covered now? I think he's had it covered now, but he had a, a tattoo of a lady um, holding a like banner, and across the banner it said "Mum." So was the naked lady his mum? Well, I don't know. I don't know if the naked lady was just trying to get his mum's attention or whether it was his mum. I don't know. You'll have but to yes. ask him. You have to ask him the origin of the tattoo. The origin of the tattoo was he went into Fat Bob's and went, I like that one. <laughs> and Fat Bob said, I'll do it for a Frosty Jack. <laughs> Sharp. <laughs> no, no, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> that would be funny. That I mean, even the name Frosty Jack sounds like sounds like the creepiest bloke in the world, didn't he? He done my first ever tattoo as well. Yeah. Which one what yeah. is your first tattoo? Well, because I was really cool, I went for the two-pack, only God can judge me. You've still got pretty, that, haven't you? No, nah, I've had it covered now. I've had it covered. But I'm pretty sure that he was drunk when he did my tattoo because the lines were so wobbly. And by the end, but the tattoo actually read, only God can judge me. Shut up. Only God sh- can judge you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It meant to be a G, it looked like a C. So you are a stand-up comedian yeah yeah good we'll just confirm that because i know i know you but other people <laughs> listening might not have a clue who you are i <laughs> found that so. i'm I just fa- some lager lager lout that goes over the park on a friday night and gets pissed so that's, that's the way it is mate that's the way it is so yes i am a comedian and my name is louis green your name yeah. is louis louis green um why did you get into stand-up comedy is the first question so I'd always wanted to do it. I feel like I've told this story a hundred times now, um, but I've always wanted to do it. So when I was a little boy, I used to go to see my granddad and I wasn't allowed to watch cartoons and stuff like that. So he used to sit us in front of Morecambe and Wise. Yeah. And I was like a huge, like I became a huge fan of Morecambe and Wise. I've, I've like, seen everything they've ever done. And then from there on, it started to like 
progressing to more and more things. So I um, I then started to watch my mum's Billy Connolly DVD and stuff, or VHS when I was a little boy. Um, and then from there, I just grew this massive love for it. But when I turned 16, I left school, I got into an array of jobs and I've had quite a vast selection of jobs. What's your favourite one? What's your weirdest job? Sorry to interrupt, but that would be funnier as well. Weirdest job or favourite job? Weirdest. Weirdest. So I was an undertaker. Is that a weird job? As in the wrestler or the profession? No, the wrestler. (laughs) You were the undertaker (laughs) for a couple of years. Yeah, you know, the period where I was sort of like, uh, where he, he rode a Harley. Yeah. The, be- the yeah. best one, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I wrote, you know, it took a while for me to build that character. but <laughs> <laughs> No, mate, I buried dead people. That was probably the weirdest job I've ever done. It yeah. Was, uh, but it was good. It was really rewarding and stuff like that. And I, I did enjoy it, but like, it was definitely the weirdest. Yeah, I mean, so. you have to have, you have to be sort of thick-skinned to do a role like that I think yeah and then my favourite was probably close protection security yeah which you don't talk about is that right yeah I can't talk about it you can't talk about it because Louis Green uh, saved a very prominent member of the UK celebrity scene from getting shot he jumped in front of the (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what the scar is uh, on my shoulder. Yeah, you can't talk about it though. Put <laughs> yeah, it, can't talk about it. Put it this way: if Louis Green was doing close protection security for Tupac, would have ended a lot differently. That's all I'm saying. Nobody would talk about Eminem right now. That's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to believe that shit. What do you jump in front of a bullet? Yeah. <laughs> no, they ain't. No, they ain't. I they ain't if they've met you. I struggle to jump out of bed, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have the agility to jump in front of a bullet. You must be, you've got to be quick to be able to do that. Yeah, definitely. I did do like firearms courses, which was pretty cool. And um, I learned how to sort of, if someone's holding a gun to my head, I had to get the gun out of the way without being shot in the head. That's quite impressive. That is impressive. That is definitely yeah. something that I wouldn't be able to do. <laughs> you would it's actually quite simple but it was it was pretty cool it was it was a fantastic job met loads and loads of people um and had quite a lot of fun as well i can tell you one quite funny story about it go on so i was in london looking after a, a family's children so i was kind of like a, I, I had to take them from home to school Obviously, they're a very wealthy family. And I'd just come back from my firearms course. So, like, all the firearms stuff was in my head. And a guy pulled up in a van, which was really, really suspicious. And he jumped out of the van and he parked in a disabled bay. Now, this family were absolutely obsessed with kidnap. They were convinced their kids were going to be kidnapped. So, I started to get all a bit jumpy in that, thinking, oh, no, it's going to go down, it's going to go down. So, I've called a couple of people who were on, on the detail with me. And they came round and I saw him go to the glove compartment and pull out like a box. And it looked like a gun box that we'd been working with in Poland. And turns out he had a flat tire. <laughs> <laughs> Did you do anything? No, nah, no. Nah, we, we were all about to swarm in and uh, yeah, he had a flat tire. Oh, you'd be gutted <laughs> if you were him, wouldn't you? 
<laughs> oh, God, like tire and you've just been beaten up by the two guards <laughs> at guard Mayor Quimby yeah, yeah do you know what I mean uh, so yeah that was a, that was a, quite a funny story so yeah like that is a, that is an interesting job. so you leave school you've, you're doing close protection and burying dead people yeah. um, not at the same time you're not making your own work uh, but you're you're doing all that so what what was the trigger what was the reason you thought I'll do stand up. So my granddad passed away, and um, um, yeah, so I was with Danny Mark, and he said, you know, let's get let's get on it, let's give it a go, and that was it. We sort of went for it, you know, losing my granddad sort of gave me the kick up the bum, and went for it. It was really, and I've never looked back since. Really, it's so much fun, and yeah. then I met beautiful people like you. Yeah, yeah, and it's been it's been fun. It's it's been very enjoyable. So since starting doing stand-up comedy are there any gigs that particularly stand out to you in terms of they were just enjoyable or they were at a certain point that made you realize that you'd come a certain way yeah, yeah. so probably probably freshest last year at, um norwich ua i was on the same bill as reese james which was pretty special yeah, that sort of made that made me realise what I wanted more than anything. To be fair, I, I sort of walked off stage and I burst into tears like a like a bit of a wuss, really. And that yeah. was just because I was so overwhelmed in what I'd achieved. And yeah, that was that was pretty special. Um, Did you cry I, in front of Reese James? Reese James consoled me, mate. Really? Yeah, Reese James just turned around and went. It just shows that you want it, mate. That's all. Really inside, I think he was thinking, "Oh, what a lout!" But yeah. Look at the state of this geezer. He's got half a bottle of Frosty Jacks on the floor and he's crying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he probably sat there going, Dad, Christ, because he's a young old, young boy in he, Reese. That was probably the one that stood out, to be fair. Um, there was quite a few like that have made me go, what am I doing here? Like, sort of gigging with Andrew Lawrence and Bobby Mayer and um, Ricky Grover was another one. That was a, sort of a big one for me. I, that was really good fun. You were at that gig, mate? I was, I was at that gig, yeah. yeah. We were at that gig. And we met, we met one of our um, mutual heroes, Rich Wilson. Yeah, absolute legend. So, yeah, love him. So, but yeah, that was sort of, they're the ones that really stick out for me. There's been some awful ones, like ones where I've wanted to give up comedy. Um, but yeah, they're, they're the ones that stand out to think me, go, I've, I've achieved something here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I mean, do you want to talk about some of the, some of the ones that weren't as good? Uh, yeah, drove all the way to Brighton with Danny to do a hotel in a um, to do a gig in a hotel, and we later found out it was a bondage hotel. <laughs> Danny spoke about this <laughs> yeah. BDSM hotel, and uh, I, I like everything was just against me from the beginning. I didn't have a particularly good gig, and Danny was videoing my gig, and I walked off and I told Danny that he had to delete the video immediately. I then went into the green room and started throwing a paddy and swearing at myself from the green room without realising that all the other acts were in the street having a fag and could see me through the window. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, that was that was a pretty bad one. That's pretty good and, having a green room for one of your first gigs. Yeah, yeah, that was. You don't it get was any dear, mate. It's normally the like the kitchen of the social club or or the toilet if you're lucky. I think did was it you that I did the gig with where um, in the toilets they had written on the wall every star dies. <laughs> that was, was that in Norwich. That was in no, the one in Norwich. 
Every Star Dies. Yes, it was. And it was and the we gig were the two where oldest, we, we? we were the two oldest ones there. And they didn't get what we were talking about. <laughs> they thought we were well old, didn't they? And I was 24. <laughs> Literally, we were... And, and you were probably the youngest, or the second oldest by about five years as well, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and you were the oldest. Everyone else was like late teens. Yeah, I think it was late it teens. Was, yeah. But we've had a few of them where we've done like new material nights together, but it's easier doing them with someone else than going on your own. It's worse when you're yeah. on your own. You go to a gig and it's rubbish and then you got to oh, get no. home. This is still to this day the worst gig I've ever done. I, um, I went to London to do a gig in... Um, so basically I was, I was new. I'd only, I was only done about five gigs and I didn't know anything about it. And these two gigs came up in London and I didn't have anything to do that afternoon. And one of them was in Fulham and the other one was in Hammersmith. So I thought, oh, well, they're doable as a double. Yeah. Uh, so I went down and done the Hammersmith gig and there was probably about 15 people in the room, which is good for a London gig. Um, and then I drove all the way across London to Fulham and done the, it's not there anymore, so I can name it, the QE Hostel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I died on my backside for five minutes and just had to speak through the whole thing and every act on the bill died that night and it wasn't until afterwards when i was talking to some comedians about the gig and they were like you done the qe hostel and i was like yeah yeah like thinking it was a good gig and it turns out the reason it's such a bad gig is because the whole audience don't speak english because it's a traveler's hostel yeah yeah. So they're, they're like, what is this geezer saying on the microphone? That was, that was horrible. Why do they horrible continuously games? watch though? That's the thing. Yeah. And they, do, they, they were, they're engaged. Yeah. If you don't speak English, watching nah, comedians for an hour and a half must be quite tricky. What made me laugh about that was the one thing that really stood out about that gig was there was a guy in the audience. Um, I don't know if he's still going, but I don't really care to be honest. But he did a he did a set where he compared his children to velociraptors. <laughs> 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 to absolute silence, and it was the strangest thing because he was actually like running around the stage like a velociraptor. Pretending the, that, uh, and that, these that people he was, are just not understanding him. <laughs> There's no context there for them, is there? They don't even know no. he's pretending to be a dinosaur. It was one. It was honestly to this day still probably the most surreal act I've ever seen. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other ones we've done together that have been like weird. Oh, we we've done. There must be more because we did the one in Swaff, um, Swiftland. Yeah, that that, that was, was only weird because we made it weird. <laughs> the gig itself was fine. The audience were lovely. Like they couldn't have been a nicer crowd. They were really. Mate, if, I'm not joking. If I was like really making a career of it and it was really going well, I'd still return to that pub to do a gig because I loved it that much. Yeah, I would as well. It's it was so much fun. Yeah, we made that weird. That wasn't their fault. That was just us. Can I tell the story? Yeah, man. We we did the, so basically we did this gig and the promoter told me that it was a posh gig. 
So I dressed up as what can only be described as a extra from straight out of Compton. It wasn't that. It wasn't, uh, I looked like. <laughs> it wasn't just that though. It wasn't that he just said it was a. It's a posh gig, and then you went, "All oh, right, it's posh. I'm just going to dress like an extra from straight out of Compton." What you did was, was he said it's a posh gig. You need to tone your set down. You can't tell these jokes. You can't tell that joke. And you've got to make an effort. But that's, <laughs> yeah, subject- that kind of that's subjective, isn't it? Making an effort. Because yeah. you did make an effort. Yeah. You had made an effort. You had a chain on. Yeah. I, I look a flat peak cap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've, we've rolled into that village with the roof down, blaring out. Fuck the police by NWA. We did. We did. And it was the same day as England, Belgium. It was it was the Euros, wasn't it? Yeah, you rocked off in a tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, I had tracksuit bottoms and an England top on. I closed that as well. <laughs> to be fair though, every every act smashed. Yeah. I even, I think I even opened up with like you could see my hands so you know I'm not nicking your wallets or something like that. And like, yeah. it, they just, they were such a friendly audience and everybody had such a good gig. I actually think it's probably my favourite gig I've ever done with you. It's up there. It is a really good gig. The only other one I would say about us going to, and it, and it wasn't for the gig. It, it, the gig was amazing. And it was like when we went to hot water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we yeah. Such a, but my favourite part of that gig was not the gig itself. It was the green room beforehand and watching Danny Mark apply hair gel. that was good it was the the green room itself was was really good um and because the other acts that were on that bill were sound as well like they were really nice yeah yeah they were they were top people to be fair but the car journey there was was fun because it was just like four hours of us just telling jokes and stuff and we documented it and the journey back, I mean, you slept on the journey back, so it was just me and Danny, but the journey back was quite good too. I've got a theory on, like, if Danny ever needed me to swap drivers, I needed my sleep. So that's my theory on that. I'm not having any more. We went into a service station twice and you were asleep. <laughs> we went yeah, into two different services. Yeah, we I didn't wake up. stopped at McDonald's in Bolton. That was weird, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> how long did it take us to find out McDonald's as well and it was in Bolton it's not even on the way home <laughs> we'd driven to Bolton the journey home was about six hours wasn't it <laughs> oh man I got in at I want to say four half four maybe yeah mate even later was... than that maybe I think my dad was getting up for work so it must have been like half five what made me laugh about that as well was like Danny's favourite part. That was the fact that he found a drive-through Greg's. Drive-through Greg's up north, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he loved it, didn't he? And there's, yeah, weird, eh? there's a drive-through Greg's somewhere relatively local because I took a picture of it when I was a passenger and we'd driven past this drive-through Greg's. I took a picture of it and he got really excited about that as well. <laughs> oh he loves his Greg's he loves it mate he loves Greg's no it was good we've had some good times I've, I've enjoyed gigging with you and like long may it continue yeah 
once we can do it again, that's that's the problem. Yeah. Actually, find you know when the, when is there going to be a point where people can actually go out and do gigs? Yeah, I, I think like I'm hoping it's going to be like to sort of October maybe, but we'll see. I, I mean, I think it probably won't be that. But it's how accessible you know. those gigs are as well. Like a lot of people that depend on stand up as a living are going to start taking as many gigs as they can to make up for the financial loss that they would have had. So the question really is slots that would have been at our level, are we going to get, you know, priced out of it almost by veterans? That's my worry. uh, That's my concern. I think it's, it's all going to take a while until it levels out again. It's going to have this this weird period of, it'll almost be a free-for-all. You, you, you yeah. have to take what you can get. I think there'll be a lot less open micers on the circuit. Yeah, unless, I mean, unless they're writing a lot during lockdown. Yeah, I think like the financial implications of that might sort of, hit him a little bit I'm, I'm yeah. in quite a lucky position where I'm in a well-paid job so I sort of and I've been sort of protected Ooh. through this as well no no I don't know but like <laughs> you someone's doing well for himself because I'm a key worker and I've, I've still been able to earn money but there's like there's going to be a lot of people out of jobs and stuff like that aren't there the are you a key worker though well yeah <laughs> I wouldn't class being a Pat Butcher lookalike as a key worker Louis <laughs> Mate, Pat Butcher is, it's important, mate, that Pat St. Clements, it is Pat St. Clements, isn't it? Pam St. Clement, you, pa, you oh, idiot. Right, mate. It's important that Pam St. Clements' uh, spirit lives on, mate. Through you. Through me. <laughs> but yeah, there are people just like, they, they'll struggle with the financial implications of it because they might not be in a role that's been able to pay them over there. Yeah. over the last few months and it's unfortunate that a lot of people are going to be in that situation really because yeah, I'm in the same position as you yeah it's sad it, 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 it's, I think we're going to see a very different landscape at the end of this I think so I mean good acts will still be there you know there will still be good acts on the circuit it's just a case of I hope you don't lose too many of the of the good ones and because it is, it's, you know, as a from a promotion side of things, you, we need there to be strong acts knocking about. Oh yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was saying this to um, another promoter, and we were chatting about it, and we were saying, you know, the acts that we would normally go to as our acts that we we deem as good or better than good. Hopefully, they're still about because a lot of them, like we said, relied on comedy as their as their income hopefully they're still in the belt because they're the ones that make our nights quality. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not, okay. Yes, we do all the background work, but the people that turn up on the night and perform, they're the ones that we need. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, feel, I think it will be a different landscape, but I don't think it will be like, there's a lot of people calling the other end of it saying it'll be the death of comedy. I don't think that will be. I don't think it will. I mean, it will be weird and it will be a free for all. And I think, the lockdown period, I don't think the lockdown period itself has put people off. I think you'll still get a lot of acts. 
that will want to get into it after all this is over and they're itching to perform and they're itching to get out there and and do their thing. What I think will put people off is that period of when it all starts back up again and it's all uncertain and, you know, the hierarchy isn't quite as established as it was before lockdown. I think some people will get a rude awakening in terms of how they're perceived in the industry and it's how you take that that will ultimately affect what you do moving forward. And I can envisage a lot of people that are perhaps viewed themselves at a certain level before lockdown, not being at the same level after lockdown and not being able to handle it. I yeah, think. I, I think at the end of lockdown, I think it's going to be a situation where comics have got to go, okay, this is where I'm at. I need to work again to get back to where I was. And yeah. that's not through any fault of theirs. It's just through what's happened. I think most people will have to take a step down. Yeah. You know, I'm step down the ladder. Yeah. I, I mean, like just before this, I was starting to venture on pro bills and stuff like that. I, and I, I deem myself as extremely lucky. And I think because I had that attitude, I'm more than happy to take that step back. Mm. Yeah. But I, I also think from the, you know, on the different side of that coin, there will be people that see the pro bills that you have got on, that they may have got on too, as a rite of passage and having to go back and do the open mics that ultimately will have to do and the unpaid work and having to sort of start again, as it were, that might just be a little bit too much. Yeah, I agree. I think I, I definitely agree with that. I, I think like I, I certainly take up and I say it in like every podcast I'm ever in, I say the same thing. I, I've always found what I've always said that I'm extremely lucky to be where I am and to be able to do something that I love. So I think if you've got that attitude and I think you'll accept it. But like you say, I, I, I think there's without naming names, I think there's a lot of acts out there that that might struggle with that step back. Yeah. Because it is, you know, it's hard work and it's one of those, comedy is one of those things that it's slow progress. So you work really hard to make the tiniest of steps to then get knocked back to where you were. It's disheartening, isn't it? Like you can't yeah, blame yeah, people for feeling that way. It just depends how much you, you love doing stand-up. I think. Yeah. Who would win in a fight? And it's the character, not the person playing them. Phil Mitchell or Zach Dingle? Oh, right. Are they drunk? Up to you. It's a level playing field, whatever. Right. Okay. I'm going to go Zach Dingle. Gone Zach Dingle. I've gone Zach Dingle. Ah, because that's... I think like Phil, let's be honest, Phil's nothing without Grant. That is true. Phil's is nothing. True. Gets on the old beers and, you know, he gets himself in a bit of a mess and, you know, without, I mean, I've seen plenty of people stick one on um, Phil, but I've never seen someone stick one on Zach. 
I'm inclined to agree, you know. I think Zach Dingle would do him. Didn't he have a son called Butch? Yeah, Butch. Butch and Kane. Anyone who names their kids Butch and Kane as well, do you know what I mean? They're going to be hard, aren't they? Yeah, that is true. Didn't Butch die? Mate, I'll be honest with you. I've just exhausted my knowledge of Emmerdale. Okay, that's fine. Okay. There was a character called Paddy in there, weren't there? He's still in it, I think. Yeah, he's a boy. Who would you rather be? A prime Carl Fletcher or a prime Luke Davenport? Oh, you're tearing me to pieces. Oh, does everyone look like... To make everyone aware, Carl and Luke are two of the greatest characters ever made in a show called Dream Team. Yeah, fictional uh, football team, Harchester United, uh, Sky One Drama Dream Team. Um, Carl Fletcher was a club legend. He played for them for years and years and years. And Luke Davenport was a character who they signed from Barcelona for a transfer, world transfer record at the time, um, who unfortunately went blind within a season. But during that season, he scored in every game he played in. So they're both very different but also very well respected. I um, I actually own a Harchester United shirt, which is amazing. As did um, I. As a child, I did. That's incredible, isn't it? Like, oh, the Purple Dragons, you've got me here. I'd go Carl Fletcher, though, because I love that man. Yeah. And anyone, had an anyone, no, no, criminal, mate. Criminal. And anyone that can gain and lose weight the way that man did, you know, deserves a medal. Yeah, they sent him to Lillishill, didn't they? That was the yeah. character. Because <laughs> he was <Yeah>. fat. <laughs> Came on and scored the free the winning free kick of that game. He did as in a fat bloke. Cup. Yeah, as a fat bloke. <laughs> yeah, as a fat just a fat bloke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna stick with the dream team theme, I think. So every week I do a quiz with a different with the guest. So the theme is going to be this week. Which dream team character are you? Okay. Okay. So, yeah. question one, why do you like football? All the dressing room banter, the power, the money, or you get to show your bare chest after every goal? Nah, it's going to be the banter. Okay. Love a bit of banter. What's your relationship status on Facebook? <laughs> um, I'm fairly sure my significant other is evil. I feel guilty because I'm seeing a married woman. Why would you have that on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Why would you have Louis Green is in a relationship, but don't tell her husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Facebook. <laughs> on Facebook. Karen's going to be sharing that, isn't she? Danny Mark likes this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a single reveler, baby. Or I'm happily in a relationship. Oh, this is tough. Happily in a relationship, I'll go with. <laughs> <laughs> if you weren't involved in football, what line of work would you be in? A matador? Because that's a standard job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Loads of people. I know loads of people in this school have become matadors. A gangster? Okay. A glamour model? 
or a wheeler dealer? I'd be a wheeler dealer, wouldn't it? Yeah, you, you yeah. strike. I can see you as a glamour model, though. You've got the uh, got the, the good physique. <laughs> if anyone listening um wants to follow jason stamp on facebook you can have a good look on how beautiful louis green is um, stunning mate absolutely stunning okay someone approaches you about fixing a match how do you react you laugh loudly before waving your arms and say step into my office You arch your eyebrow, letting them know you're open to the idea. You take it as an insult or you consider it so you can use the money to start a new life. Uh, It it would be, I'd be enraged by that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'm enraged. Although I've got a feeling to be my favourite character, I should have considered it. (laughs) Carl Fletcher never took, took bribes, mate. No, no, he didn't. Fletch Fletch was fuming when all that came out. Anyway, the manager tells you off for becoming too involved in the team selection. What do you do? Apologise, leave, and then later, passionately kiss his wife. (laughs) You murder him with a potted plant and pin the crime on someone else. Right. (laughs) You plant a story in the newspaper about him. Or you sulk and then tell the chairman you want a transfer. Sulk and tell the chairman I want a transfer. I ain't got murder in me. Very true. <laughs> okay. Who are you most like out of these four people? Rod Stewart, Gaza, Ryan Giggs, or Alan Pardew? Oh, who would want to be Alan Pardew? I quite like Alan Pardew. Oh, no, I'm a West Ham fan, mate, so there's no way I like that, man. Uh, I'd say Gazza, personally. Gazza, okay. Bit of banter, likes of beer, although I don't drink too much, but... Okay. Three more left. Uh, A suspicious accident wipes out half your team at half-time. What do you do? You give a moving eulogy at the funeral. You curse the club. You frantically shred evidence. (laughs) Or you remember how unbearably attractive you are and rest easy. (laughs) Um, The eulogy, mate. I'd feel bad that I'd lost my comrades. Yeah. The the, the thing is, these questions are just bringing back all the episodes. I'm going to watch it again after this. I have been watching it. That's the problem. Okay. What do you do at the Christmas party? Do you use it as a chance to wipe out your enemies? Uh, Accidentally murder a high-ranking club official? Have a tango with a teammate's wife? Or wrongly think it's fancy dress, but still have a good time anyway? The fancy dress one. Okay. And the last one. Last one. Would you prefer to be seen as an ogre or a club legend? Club legend, mate, 100%. (laughs) Who am I? Carl Fletcher. Yes! (laughs) You are a lad who loves nothing more than a cheeky wink, whether you're scoring on or off the pitch. (laughs) 
Oh, mate, I'm so happy with that. You don't know, you've actually made my day. Carl Fletcher. I wouldn't have called you Carl Fletcher. Where, where would you have put me? Who would I have said you are? Yeah. Casper, I would have probably. said you are Danny Sullivan. You've been in Ooh. there since the beginning. You're always there. You're sturdy. You're reliable. But, you know, ultimately, didn't end too well for him. I'm going away to watch Dream Team again now okay right Louis Green um, we're going to go now so if people want to find you on social media where are they going to find you Uh, you've got me I'm on Instagram Twitter and Facebook if you just type in Louis Green you will find me I have got my mouth shut and taped up which is a very rare thing but you will see me and also like my, fa- my comedy page, um, Louis Green Comedy. Hey, Louis Green, thank you very much, sir. See you soon. Cheers, boss. Cheers, mate. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Ladies and gents, that was, that was Louis Green. It was really good speaking to Louis because he's the kind of guy that Louis can connect with, with anyone. He's got that personable feel about him. And I hope you got that impression from listening to Louis too. Once again, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. And I hope to hear from you next week where I will have yet another guest. Take care. <laughs>